I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. Praise God. I'd like to draw your attention to the word of the Lord, the book of Hosea, chapter 2. Hosea, chapter 2. I, uh, just to be honest with you, don't tell Sister Michaela I'm going to say this, but I was so pleased to see her leadership this morning. And uh, I know, I, I just shh, don't don't tell her. Let it just be just be our secret, all right. Hosea chapter 2 and, and verse 7, I'll be reading from the King James Version. It reads, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall see them, but not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil multiply her silver and gold which they prepared for Baal therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness and now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. And goes on and says, I will also cause all of her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them uh, a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit uh, upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and went after her lovers, and forget me, saith the Lord. So he is speaking of the, his, his bride, if you will. He's speaking of Israel and how... Israel left her covenant and sought after other other gods and using the the uh, the metaphor of an unfaithful spouse. He goes on and he says in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Now notice he says, And I will give her, her vineyards from thence, and a valley of Achor as a door of hope, and she shall, shall sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, and it shall be on that day, saith the Lord, that she shall know she shall call me Ishi and shall call me no more Bali. I want to preach to you the thought of a door of hope. A door of hope. To the reading of the word of the Lord, would somebody shout amen? Uh, to somebody shout. 
Thank you. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. This passage is prophetic, the, the book of Hosea, a prophetic uh, uh, chapter and verse in the Old Testament of the Bible. And it speaks of the nation of Israel being unfaithful to the Lord. He ransomed her from bondage, from Egypt. He provided her needs and comforted her when she mourned. And he was patient with her when she sought other gods and when she sought acceptance with the cultures that surrounded her. I believe this passage speaks to the church today. I believe this passage speaks to this generation and to this culture. I believe that the apostolic church has the power to affect culture. And I believe that the apostolic church has the power to not be affected by culture. Notice that hope begins to enter the discussion around verse 14 and then verse 15. And too often people struggle in their relationship with God. Too often we struggle as we're walking with the Lord. Um, my pastor talks often, however, he talks about God knowing our frame. And I'm so thankful that God knows that I'm not perfect. I'm thankful that God has a plan, if you will, for my imperfection. He knows my frame. But but walking with God, have you have you figured out that it's a series of falling down and getting up? Falling back down and getting back up. Stumbling and falling down <laughs> and getting back up. See, as long as there is a getting back up in the story, we have hope. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. Don't you get all excited just because I'm human and I make mistakes because there's something inside of me that refuses to stay down. Don't rejoice just yet when I fall because I shall arise. Inside of me is a spirit that even death couldn't stop. Inside of me is a spirit that hell could not arrest. Inside of me is a power that no matter how far I may fall, there's a get back up in my spirit. The challenge with our humanity is oftentimes we want to play instead of pray. It's going to be tight for a minute, folks. Don't throw nothing at me, please. We want to watch a video instead of dig into God's Word. We want to be entertained instead of entertaining the presence of the Lord. 
We want to hibernate at home instead of reaching out to the lost and the hurting. Fasting shifts to this thing we used to do. My, my, my. I get it because I'm human too. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. What you struggle with is not unique to you. You have this condition called humanity. You have this framework that is prone to struggle, to submit to the plan and the purpose of God. But again, I remind you of what Micah said. Don't rejoice against me when I fall. Don't you get excited when I struggle. It just means that God is still working on me. God is still working in my life. You know the perfect Christian? I don't know if you've ever met the perfect Christian, but I know a few perfect Christians. They're the ones that refuse to stay down when they fall. They're not perfect in the sense they they don't make mistakes, but they're perfect in the sense that when they stumble, they get back up. When they mess up, they fess up. When 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 they struggle, they're relying on God. See, we are conditioned by our culture to think that the presence of struggle means the absence of victory. But the devil is a liar. The reason why I struggle is because I'm working my way towards heaven. The reason that I struggle is it's not over yet. There is still life. That is being produced in my life. God does not require a classical definition of perfection in our life. A life without fault and a life without struggle. God expects us to grow. God expects us to become. And the only way that I can become what God made me and called me to be is to keep getting up. I shall arise. I, come on, I shall arise. I may be frustrated with myself, but I'm not going to stay down. I might, I might shake my head a little bit because I, I really did know better, but I'm not going to stay down. Heaven has invested too much in me for me to quit now. Heaven has given too much for my victory to settle for defeat. Heaven has invested an almighty God that became a savior. An almighty God that surrendered the the, the human will to the divine will. An almighty one with all power in his hand that said, you're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. That God 
He paid the price. He invested in my getting back up. He invested in my refusal to quit. He has invested personally in my overcoming. I, I just feel like looking at somebody today and telling them, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Heaven is pulling for you. God is fighting for you. You're going to make it. Hmm. I, uh, <laughs> the verse, you know, the Bible talks about heaven rejoicing, right? When, how's that go? It's about one sinner, what, is perfect and never makes another mistake? Is that what the Bible says? Well, somebody help me out here. What does it say? When one sinner, when heaven rejoices, heaven throws this big old party when one sinner repents. <laughs> repents. It's kind of like God saying, hey, look at that, Gabriel. They got up again. Let's throw a party. Hey, look at that. They got back up. They refused to stay down. They re refused to be a victim. Look at that. Heaven is celebrating your victory. Somebody shout amen. Mm. Joshua chapter 7. It says, Joshua said, why hast, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones. Burned him with fire. Uh. And after they had stoned them with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor. Until this day. We read in Hosea that God gave his unfaithful bride, Israel, a door of hope. And that door of hope had a name called the Valley of Achor. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. But God told his people when they went in to possess Jericho, don't touch anything in that place. Don't, 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 you, don't you touch the garments, the, the silver, the gold, anything in that city will go to the storehouses, but I don't want you to touch anything. That place is accursed. And Achan decided, Scripture says he saw that it was a goodly garment. So he decided to take him some 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 raiment, some clothes, and I mean, and then he grabs hold of it and some silver and some gold, and he, and he takes it home secretly and hides it in his tent. And they go out to fight the battle after Jericho, and they lost. <laughs> Joshua was wondering, what in the world is going on, Lord? We what happened? What's going on? And God said, listen, I told you, don't touch the accursed thing. 
And they, man, they had to have a, a prayer meeting. They had to get a hold of God. They, Lord, you're going to have to tell us what's going on because we're, we're not getting this. We're not seeing this. I didn't take anything. Did you take anything? Oh, no, I didn't take anything. And eventually, judgment day came because God revealed that Achan had taken the thing. And when, when Joshua and the elders show up, he's like, uh, yeah, I took it, and I'm really, really sorry that I took it. I always wondered why in the world he, he confessed it. He, he said he was sorry. He, he repented. I, I, you know, I'm thinking, why, why did he have to, why did he have to be stoned? Why, why was there such a severe consequence for, for that, for that sin? What, what, what was it that was going on? Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, God is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. That didn't happen at Calvary. Calvary happened because God's always been a God of mercy, and He's always been a God of grace. So where was the grace and where was the mercy in this story? It was before Judgment Day. Achan waited until Judgment Day. Oh, wish somebody let me preach for a minute. Waited until the final day. Now you have in your life, I have in my life a beautiful thing called a space of grace. But when this life is over, Scripture plainly declares that every knee shall bow. Oh my, come on. Every tongue shall confess. I refuse to wait until the judgment to, de to confess and declare my dependence on Christ. I refuse to wait until judgment day to deal with the sin and the condition of my heart. I don't want to be an eternal aching without a hope for my eternity while there is yet Grace, I have hope. Mm. Truth is, there are some things God says no to. And when God says no, it does not mean maybe. First John chapter 2 lets us know what the accursed thing is. It says, listen, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Now here's the curse. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever now yes there 
is a curse upon the works of the flesh. Yes, there is a curse upon the lust of the eyes. There is a curse upon the pride of life. But there is also hope available because if I seek after the will of God, if I yield to the will of God, I have hope that is stronger than the curse. The world with its lusts and pride and selfishness, hate, it's marked for destruction. Beware. Beware of taking the accursed thing. I hope it's all still all right to preach straight. Beware of valuing what the world values. Beware of loving what the world loves. I feel the admonishment of the apostle when he, he challenges the church and, and tells them to not love the world like we, we read here. But, but, but Paul says, set your affections, the, set your value, cherish, esteem those things which are above. Your friends may not understand why you value godliness more than you value sensuality. Your, your friends, your family may not understand why you value purity over pleasure. But I still want to preach somebody a message that says there are some things God says no to. And it's not to withhold from you anything good, but it's to save you from the evil and the destruction that's never been designed for you. I just feel caution in the air, if you will, to beware of, of loving what God hates. Bible speaks of a time and a generation that will look at those things which are good and call them evil and those things which are evil and call them good. I wish somebody would just take a stand in their home and in their life saying, I refuse to be a part of an untoward generation. I refuse to be a part of a generation that is fleeing from God. I want to hold to God's hand no matter what life brings. Somebody say a door of hope. Door of hope. The Valley of Achor was the first place that the nation of Israel went once inside the promised land. That fabled place that God spoke and whispered to Abraham and got conveyed to Isaac and Jacob and Reuben and Simeon and Judah, Gad, Naphtali, Joseph. They flourished in the house of bondage because of the blessing of the Lord. Because no matter how hard the devil tries, he can't stop God's blessing. Somebody needs to hear that just because there's a weapon formed against you doesn't mean it's going to prosper. The 
But that first place after the wilderness was the Valley of Achor. See, Jericho was the last destination in the wilderness. And Achor was the first place in the promised land. They had a victory at Jericho, sealing their deliverance and through, the, through the wilderness. Now the nation steps out of the wilderness to inherit their promise. The valley of Achor is a place. See, Achan, he foolishly preserved what should have been destroyed. I'm, 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 I'm taking some lessons into my life right now. There are some things I have to be careful that I don't let endure. There's some things in my spirit I have to be careful to not let endure. <laughs> I have to make sure that pride is kept in check and doesn't endure past my prayer meeting. I have to I have to make sure lust doesn't endure. <laughs> After my altar time, there's some things that are <laughs> accursed that if I don't deal with, it will bring about destruction. So I want to, I want to leave them under the blood. I want to leave them at the altar. I want to leave them dealt with so that I can inherit the promise that God has for me. He held on to what should have been rejected. See, the first place once inside the promise seems to be a place of regret and despair. I mean, it's a place where Achan and his family died. They were stoned because of sin. It was a place of shame and a place of humiliation, and I, I get that. But, but if you pause for a minute and you look at the larger picture of what happened before, what happened after, what you realize is that God gave Israel a chance to purify herself. God gave Israel a place to repent. God gave Israel the opportunity to deal with the thing in its life that did not please him. And that is the door of hope. See, before I can inherit the promise, we get all excited about God's promises, right? Anybody excited about God's promise? Man, it is energizing. It is exciting. It is powerful. I mean, we shout about the promise and rejoice, and we should. But listen to this preacher today. God gives us opportunities to have the hope of seeing that promise fulfilled because he gives us places called altars where we can make our hearts right with him. We can yield our will to his will. We can surrender our failings to his perfection. But God, God, such an awesome God, such a powerful Mercies new every morning. Grace that is sufficient. What an awesome God. God, in a way that only He can, He took the despair and the looming 
cloud that covered this place called the Valley of Achor and transformed that dark cloud into his glory and gave it hope and life. And I want to preach to somebody today that that is precisely what God is trying to do to you. Take the darkness and the despair, the depression, the overwhelming feeling that you have and transform it from a thing of fret and fear into something of faith and power. God is trying to breathe hope into your midnight. See, once sin was dealt with, there was no stopping the promise of God. They led campaigns to the north, to the east, to the west, to the south, the mountains, the valleys. Man, their enemies were so frustrated and filled with such consternation. They said, well, he's just the God of the valleys. And the Lord said, all right, well, watch this. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is... When you have a perpetual habit of dealing with your shortcomings and your sin, your mistakes and your failures, when your altar is a place of daily use in your life, that is how you possess the promise of God. Because you cannot stay the same and become what God has called you to be. In order to walk as God called you to walk, you must change. You must become. See, repentance, this door of hope, this valley of acor, this. Does anybody like awkward conversations? You know what I'm saying? Where a husband's got to talk to his wife, or a wife's got to talk to her husband and say, Man, you've been a knucklehead, you know. What were you saying? What were you thinking? Why did you do that? People don't enjoy being on the receiving end of those conversations. Can I get a witness? Most people don't even enjoy being on the giving end of those conversations. Can I get a witness? Awkward conversations. And, and I get that nobody likes to admit their shortcomings. <laughs> right? Nobody likes to get up and confess. Yeah, I've been a knucklehead all week. I, I knew better, but I went and did this, and I, you know. Can I get a witness? Amen. That's why, you know, we come to church and wear masks. And I'm not talking about. <laughs> we don't like admitting that we are not perfect. We don't like admitting that we struggle. We don't like. We don't like seeming weak. <laughs> we don't like feeling fragile and dependent. I mean, there's me and two other people that are, anybody else agree? <laughs> we don't like that at all. It's, it's rather awkward, really. 
you confess my faults, confess my sins. Can you you want me what? And uh, Lord have mercy, we just we just don't like it. We just don't like it, and I think that's why God gave it to us as the place of hope in our walk with Him. Because if I actually practice this thing called repentance, then I receive this beautiful thing called mercy. If I, as it were, get to my knees and I confess and I, and I, and I talk to God and I deal with the things in my life that have to be dealt with and I, I crucify, as it were, my flesh and, and I yield my, my will to His will, it may be difficult. I'm telling you, folks, Gethsemane was not an easy place. Jesus was such so travailing and so pressured and in such a struggle he sweat great drops of blood it was a battleground but the result of the battle was hope in the face of adversity the result of the battle was victory over death When you have the courage to find a place of repentance, heaven rejoices. Hope. Repentance changes our relationship with God. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 16 is significant. I'll read it again just to kind of refresh. I know we read it earlier, but I want to read it again. It says, and it shall be at that day, saith the Lord. So when the Lord goes in and takes the unfaithful bride, it's going to be on that day that she's going to call me Ishi and shall no more call me Balai. See, Balai means master. Ishi means husband. It's a term of endearment. Instead of calling me sir, instead of calling me master, she's going to call me my dearest baby. Sugar muffin. <laughs> Pookie. Boo. <laughs> There's going to be an expression of endearment because I expected to be smacked down when I admitted my weakness, but instead of being smacked down, I was lifted up, and instead of being smacked down, he brought me out of the miry clay. That's why I love him. That's why I adore him. Because when I cried out to him, he heard me and he saved me. Hallelujah. 
I'd like to invite you to stand in the presence of the Lord right now. I feel to challenge you to surrender your lifestyle to God. I believe that you know me well enough to understand that I, the last thing that I do or try to do is meddle. I'm not trying to do your pastor's job. I just feel an unction from the Lord this morning to challenge you to really pray about your media habits. I feel compelled to challenge you Consider what your soul is ingesting. It really isn't complicated. It's quite simple to grow in God and to serve Him. We look, we're like Naaman, and we look for fancy stuff and challenging stuff and just, you know, sensational stuff. But you will find the will of God in the simple, in your daily prayer. So I challenge you in the name of Jesus, however much you're praying right now, stretch that. Maybe add five minutes. If you're praying 20 minutes a day, if you've got a faithful devotion and routine, I challenge you to stretch that by five minutes. And in that five minutes, just express your love and your worship to God. Pray about what you pray about and digest in the devotion, the thoughts and the things that will feed your soul. But I challenge you to, to invest five more minutes just spending five more minutes expressing your love for God. Challenge you. I, I just, if you're not praying every day, Maybe you get, you get you mean to, but the alarm doesn't go off, and you've got to rush out to work, or you're, you're planning on praying in the evening, but something happens, and you've got to take your car to the mechanic, and you rush around, and, and you miss that time. I, I, just, I, I challenge you through the course of your day, find a moment. Doesn't have to be 10 minutes, doesn't have to be a half hour, but just find a moment. Maybe when you just finished that report and you emailed it off and you just say, Lord, I just want to take a minute here and let you know I love you and I'm so thankful that during this pandemic you've blessed me with a job that I can provide for my family. Thank you. Take a moment and just, just love him for a, a minute. I know he's our God and he's our master and he's got all power in his hands, but he wants your relationship to shift to one of endearment. That is the hope. The hope is that the God of eternity with all power, all he has to do is whisper and things change. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with me. I challenge you to consider fasting. I challenge you to consider increasing your diet of the Word of God. If you don't have a time set aside, why don't you pick 10 minutes one day and say, you know what, every Thursday, right after dinner, before we clean up the dishes, we're going to take 10 minutes, we're going to read a passage, and we're going to talk about it. 
It's simple. It's simple. But it's so powerful. It is simple. But it is life transforming. It is simple. But if you will do it, God will start to open up things in your life that will blow your mind. I'm not trying to preach to you because I think there's anything wrong with you. I believe you know me or most of you know me enough to know that I really do love you. I really do value you and my relationships with you. But I'm trying to encourage somebody today. God has been pulling at your heart and in your life so that you would draw closer to him through this door of hope. And so right now in the space of grace, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. And I'm not saying that because I think you all are a bunch of sinners and a mess. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that sometimes life...